Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst, Jeff Edelstein. And Jeff, I saw you shared a photo of your Powerball ticket on Twitter this week. Uh, that is correct, yes. You were drawing live to $2 billion when you bought it, but uh, alas, you remain $2 billion short of a two-billionaire, uh, if that's a thing. Here's my question for you, Jeff. Uh, you're a smart guy. Thank you. <laughs> and that wasn't the question, obviously, oh. not phrased as a question. But uh, that, that's that's the setup for the obviously when I start with you're a smart guy, something suggesting maybe not is coming. <laughs> so um, not only do I consider you a smart guy, you, you play DFS with an actual eye toward winning. You, mm-hmm. you look for edges in sports betting. You consider the math, at least sometimes it seems. You know, you're not Billy Walters or anything, but you've always struck me as a sharp gambler. But. Is it possible to call oneself a sharp gambler and also be a person who buys lottery tickets? <laughs> well, in this case, yes, as a matter of fact. I mean, the math the math is good. So the odds of winning the Powerball are 292 million to 1, right? Okay. The tickets cost 2 bucks, so you got to play, let's say, you know, you expect to win once every 292 million times, obviously, right? The the jackpot was 1.9 billion, lump sum about 900 billion, 900 million, uh-huh. 900 million compared to the 600 million, you know, dollars I'd have to put in to cover every ticket. It's a plus EV situation right here. So, so why didn't you put in 600 million dollars and and really, you know, cover cover all bases? I so I <laughs> I tried to. Uh, I, I talked to a few, uh, financial advisors on, mm-hmm. on my payroll. Um, right. and I, you know, I did knock on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with Jamie Dimon of Chase. You know, I, okay. I did bring him up. Uh, there was, there was talk, uh, we, we brought it to the board of directors in the end, <laughs> it was decided that maybe just one single shot at, you know, with $2 out of my own pocket <laughs> right. was the more prudent course of action. Because of course okay. the possibility existed of more than one winner. Right. Okay. <laughs> There's that. Well, as as they say, you you can't win if you don't play. Um, but you also 
almost can't win if you do play. So, so there's that part that they don't usually include uh, in, the, in the phrase the, that you can't win if you don't play. Quick side story for you. Back uh-huh. in 1991, I guess it was, or 19, 1990, I guess, yeah. I was a, or 1991, I was a, a, a sophomore at University of Maryland College, the university there, and I dropped uh-huh. out uh, in anger because of a botany class. It's a story for another day. <laughs> and I came home, and the New Jersey lottery pick six was $30 million. I think it might have been the highest lottery jackpot in New Jersey at the time. I bought five quick. I was 19 years old. I bought five quick picks, right? Mm-hmm. I got five out of six numbers on one of the tickets for a, a payday of $2,154. Wow, all right. Uh, good thing I didn't win the $30 million at age 19 after college dropping <laughs> after dropping out of college. I, I don't think I would be here to tell that story. You, uh, you, you would have made a lot of strippers rich. I would have <laughs> I would have made a lot of strippers very rich, uh, and also drug dealers. And <laughs> but I think at, based on that victory there, I am quite confident in in my knowledge that I am definitely ahead of the game when it comes to the lottery throughout the years. Okay, all right, that's good. Here here's one last thing I'm wondering on this subject. You you just became my new co-host a week ago. Yes. If if you'd won the two billion. Now, obviously, yeah. you're quitting your job on the spot, but yeah. but but what are the chances you continue to co-host Gamble on, either for the love of the podcasting game or or just not wanting to leave me in the lurch again so soon? Any chance you hang around a little while? The odds of me sticking around uh, are about as good as the odds of of me winning the lottery. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> I mean, I got. It's not that. It's not that I. You know, it's the time we record this early in the morning. I'd like to still be sleeping. Quite frankly, <laughs> that's that's fair. If you win two billion dollars, sleep as late as you want. That's a good yeah, policy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, until both of us have won the lottery, we will keep cranking out podcasts. So uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number two hundred sixteen of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous two hundred fifteen episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please give us a five-star rating. It's the least you can do, considering that this podcast costs you $2 less than the price of a Powerball ticket. Very good point. All right, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Paul Krishnamurti, an election betting expert, because, uh, wow, what a what a Tuesday night and continuing week <laughs> that we've been having here on the election front. Yeah. But listen, before we get to that, we got to do the news rundown. So why don't we get to it? Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We knew the ballot measures to bring legal sports betting to California were going to fail, but I don't think anyone expected them to fail this spectacularly. Proposition 26, the measure to allow retail betting at tribal casinos, was trailing 70.5% to 29.5% at last check. And Prop 27 wishes it had those numbers. The proposal for statewide mobile betting was trailing 83.4% to 16.6%. The major sportsbooks poured massive money into that one, but to no avail. In all, more than $400 million was spent by proponents and opponents of these bills, and that which was spent by proponents was entirely wasted as the negative and or confusing ad campaigns killed any chance Californians had of legally betting on sports starting next year. It's strange to say the tribes got what they wanted when their bill lost by 41 points, but it does seem they got what they wanted. Uh, Nothing can happen with sports betting in California until 2024 now if a new measure can get on the ballot in two years. 
Jeff, do the margins by which these measures lost threaten to kill all hope for 2024 in your mind? And any other thoughts on this colossal failure in California? Yeah, I don't think it kills 2024. I just think it, it, it definitely, like, you know, reshapes the question, I think, of what sports betting is going to look like in California. And, you know, it's interesting to me. I've always, like, been under the impression that uh, – you know, things move west to east in this country. Like, you know, California always seems to be on the vanguard of what's like hot, new, and happening. Right. Uh, I remember I traveled across uh, country in 1995 and land. You know, we were in California, and I, I remember being dazzled by the the sheer number of sushi restaurants like that dotted the landscape. You know, <laughs> it was not a thing here in New Jersey. Right. right? But so it and so I'm I, it's I've been wondering like what is it about this that has Californians not on board? You know, especially when you look back at you know when New Jersey was asked you know what a dozen you know ten years ago almost now like if they wanted sports betting like by you know two to one margin New Jersey voters said yes but here California voters are still saying no. So I, you know I don't live in California I, I don't have you know I, I don't have a horse in the race as it were but I I just wonder like what the what is the vanguard out there like why aren't they doing this the only thing I can come up with and tell me you know what you think is it possible that they that the Californian populace that they don't want to screw over the tribes that they want the tribes to continue being like a major part of this because like that's the only answer I can come up with I I don't I, I don't see why else. The, uh, you know, the vote was so, so, so against this. I, I, I can't imagine, again, just based on other states and seeing how other people have voted in other states, I can't imagine that Californians are, you know, four to one against sports betting in general. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. It doesn't make sense as just a straight do you or do you not want sports betting thing. There's There's got to be more to it. But uh, first, let me pause and just say I was not expecting this many Jeff Edelstein 1990s stories to make their way <laughs> into the podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, this sports betting proposal, the next time they try it, it's going to need some serious reframing. Um, so, you know, maybe in 2024, the campaign should focus on, you know, the sports betting. Uh, I, I've, I've seen it argued that this this tying it to homelessness, it sounds good on paper, but some theorize that Californians are numb at this point to causes to help with homelessness. It's kind of played out with voters. So, I mean, it feels like in 2024, they should make the focus telling everyone people in our state are betting on sports anyway. They're just doing it without safeguards and we're not keeping any tax revenue. 40 plus states have it. You know, I'm projecting out two years from now that probably 40 something states are going to have it. Let's legalize it in California. And as you said, they're sort of known as the progressive state kind of push that we're, we're usually the progressive state. Let's not be behind the rest of the country on this anymore. Right. That that feels like the right way, right way to frame it. But I guess none of the framing really matters if the online operators and the tribes can't come to some kind of agreement to work together. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that the negative campaign by the tribes was a huge part of why this failed in California, although those numbers are so lopsided that it feels like maybe it was never going to succeed no matter what. I don't know. But, you know, that that has to be goal one for the operators to, to spend the next year plus trying to figure out a compromise to work with the tribes. You know, we partner up and online sports books are tethered to tribal casinos and, and we share our profits with you. They need to come up with something that satisfies the tribes without, of course, creating a New York type situation where it's really difficult to be profitable. Right. Uh, I think one place to look certainly is going to be Michigan. Michigan uh, has pulled off what, you know, they, they really have threaded the needle there where the, the it really does seem as if the, the everyone's happy, basically. The, right. uh, you know, the, the DraftKings and the FanDuel's are making money hand over fist. The tribes 
have their own space to make money and and on top of it they get a cut of what you know the the bigger operators make so it i mean i certainly looking towards michigan would be you know step one if i was you know in, in, in you know in charge of any of this which you know i'm not but yeah it clearly it has to be there's so much money to be made in california it seems like everyone needs to take a step back and you know what, what do they say about compromise a good compromise is when everyone's not happy <laughs> right right you know i mean that that's clearly what what needs to get what right needs to happen here yeah and uh, you know it's not it's not 2018 right now when this is all new and nobody quite knows what's going to work your michigan example just is a reminder that there are a million examples they can point they can look at how 30 something other states have done it and surely find one or two that that kind of makes sense to try to follow their lead and and be more like them so for sure all right Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great, too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Uh, well, we move from the highly exciting world of California ballot measures to the equally exciting world of New York arbitration courts. On Friday, such a court handed down a ruling in the long-running case between Fox Corp and Flutter, which owns FanDuel, uh, determining that Fox has the right to purchase an 18.6% equity option in FanDuel Group for $3.72 billion with a 5% annual escalator. This is a much higher price tag than the one Fox initially sought. Both sides tried to spin the ruling into being supposedly favorable for them, naturally. Um, so what does this ruling mean? For one, according to our colleague Matt Rybaltowski, who wrote about this for Sports Handle, it lessens the chances FanDuel and Fox will work together harmoniously going forward. Secondly, it could spell the end of FoxBet, uh, effective next August. And PokerStars, which is currently directly connected to FoxBet, could become a Flutter-affiliated brand. Jeff, I don't know about you, but my eyes tend to glaze over a bit when I read about multi-billion dollar purchases with 5% annual escalators. It's all tremendously unrelatable to the common man. But uh, any sense of what this means for the sports better? Um, and are you a FoxBet user in New Jersey by chance? You know, it is, it is a legal sports book. So my default guess is that you have an account. I do have an account. I think FoxBet's only in four states right now, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, New Jersey being one of them. Uh yeah, I I do have an account. I've used it before, but not a lot. Their odds are usually worse. You know, I, it's rare that they have the best odds on something. Additionally, they run these, you know, promos and, you know, odds boosts that, like, almost always are worse odds <laughs> than you can get anywhere else. Like, right. it's, it, it's maddening. The one positive I will say about FoxBet is their uh, the withdrawal process has always been, you know, like 10 minutes, you right. know. 
which which I, I I like, and if if nothing else, Flutter should figure out a way to get me my money that quickly going forward. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. The, you know, the, the, I, my eyes do glaze over a bit when it comes to all this stuff. It, it sounds as if Foxbet is uh, not long for this world. Uh, it, it's to, to I, I think it's now you're going to correct me, I'm sure, but something to the effect of Flutter is worth like 24 billion right now, and for Foxbet to get in bed with them, it, they they have to spend like 20 billion. I don't know. It seems like <laughs> it, it seems like this is not going to happen for Foxbet. But they have 10 years to decide. Right. There's escalators. I know if I won the lottery, I would install an escalator. But that's <laughs> that, that's that, that's about as far as my, uh, my my knowledge base goes on this stuff. Yes. I mean, when it comes if – I, if I knew about this stuff, I'd be working on Wall Street instead of talking to you this morning. <laughs> I, I like the little humble brag you worked in there. I don't even know if you meant it as such. But talking about withdrawal processes and uh, how quickly they are, you're, you're announcing to the world that you make withdrawals, which suggests that you're a <laughs> successful sports better. Um, but um, I actually – I, I, Pennsylvania is another one of the states that Foxbet is in, and I have a little more affection for the book than you do. I'll, I'll, I'll be a bit sad if it dissolves, and I do think it's going to dissolve, um, because you're right that their odds on certain things are terrible, um, but at least they have unique odds. It's not like losing one of the five or six Camby books in Pennsylvania that all have the exact same odds. And specifically, what I have come to love about Foxbet is that they're often the slowest to update their futures odds. Um, I remember at one point last basketball season, Jokic flipped from the second or third favorite to the clear favorite for MVP at every book, except Fox bet where his price was like eight hours behind uh, everyone else in terms of adjusting. Um, same thing with like Bryce Harper's MVP odds last year. He was, uh, I got him at 10 to one at Fox bet when everyone else had dropped him to four to one or something like that. So, you know, it's not the end of the world to lose this book, but just uh, as someone who does like to place the occasional bet there, I'd prefer not to, but I, I saw it estimated that Fox bet is losing about $60 million a year. Um, and I also saw the statistic that Foxbet has a 0.2% share of the U S sports betting gross revenue pie. It's incredible how little traction it's gotten, despite all the exposure on Fox Sports programming. Maybe it's because the book stinks, and I'm, I'm like the only person who likes it. Maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, it seems like a near certainty that it'll get shut down next year as we move closer and closer to a world with like four or five major sports books and all the others absorbed. Which I'm not thrilled about, to be clear. Like right. I, I, you know, I enjoy having the the, the twenty odd options here in New Jersey right now. Um, you know, and we got a few more, you know, coming up to, you know, fanatics will be coming out soon. And, uh, you know, so I, I, right. it, I, it, I don't, yeah, I'd hate to see it come down to the four or five, but yeah, we're, I mean, right now, I mean, the, you know, the big five have like almost 90% of the market as it stands. So right. it's, uh, yeah, it's coming, I guess. Yeah. All right. Our third story this week, uh, is a little more sensational than the first two. And it features two words, a sports book hates, but a journalist loves suspicious betting. A UFC featherweight fight Saturday between Derek Minner and Shailan Nurdanbike, uh, all pronunciations approximate here, um, is being investigated after, as ESPN's David Purdom and Mark Raimondi reported, 
multiple sports books flagged suspicious wagering. The odds on Nerdon BK to win moved significantly, as did the odds on him by first round knockout and on under two and a half rounds as rumors floated about a minor injury. The fight played out as if there was indeed an injury, as Minner grimaced after throwing a kick just 30 seconds into the fight, and he ended up stopped after just over a minute of action. The firm U.S. Integrity alerted sportsbooks in real time on Saturday, and some of them took odds on the fight down. I spoke to U.S. Integrity President Matthew Holt on Wednesday and hope to have an article on this situation posting soon after this podcast. But he couldn't comment on the specifics of the situation because it's an ongoing investigation. But he did tell me this event got flagged by more operators than any other sporting event this year. Jeff, what's your take on situations like this where it is suspected that someone leaked injury information and someone tried to profit off of it? Where's the line for you between good sourcing and inside information? Well, I think the line is probably pretty far (laughs) <laughs> far left, I guess, would be the the answer here. Uh, you know, I, I you know, the information yearns to be free. You know, I mean that right, that's the hacker right. ethic, and uh, I, I I'm never not going to want as much information as I can. I mean, you know, I I know I don't want to pitch it as a battle between me and the sports books, but it is a little bit of a battle sure. between me and the sports books, right? You know, there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser, uh, and if the information is out there. You know, I am going to take advantage of it until such time that the sports books say, hey, there's something clearly is up here. We need to take this down. Uh, and I, to, again, I'm you know, I've never worked behind the counter, but I'd have to imagine, like it has happened in this case, when they start seeing, you know, bet after bet after bet coming in, that they are going to be moving the odds. And at some point they have to say to themselves, well, obviously there's something out there that we don't know. You know, and it's time to stop taking bets on this. But until the books stop taking bets on it, I would just keep betting it. And like, you know, I want all the information that I can get my hands on. And, and, you know, as long as the fight wasn't, you know, if the fight was fixed, you know, if we're talking about like actual cheating, that's a, that's a different story. But if if we're just talking about information where somebody's leaked information and, you know, the word has gotten out, that's, that's the cost of doing business as far as I'm concerned. It's interesting. Like you use the phrase as long as the information is out there. And I guess the question is what counts as out there, out there publicly versus out there because one guy in the camp told a few friends he knows something. So like on the one hand, I like to side with the sports betters. You know, if if you know something and the books don't, good for you because the books always have the slight advantage. So why shouldn't you be allowed to have an occasional advantage? Um, But speaking with Matthew Holt and also with a sports book operator for the story, I get it. I get where they're coming from, that there's a difference between a reported injury and true inside information. Uh, the comparison that came to mind for some was the those Buccaneers bets with Brady unretiring. Um, right. But I, I also thought about the Draymond Green game last season. Uh, you remember that one where yep. it was reported that he was injured and would make a ceremonial start anyway and then check right out of the game. And some people, very smartly and sharply, in my view, jammed out some quick SGPs built around all the Draymond unders, and the books correctly paid them out, but then, as is their right, I guess, punished those customers by limiting them going forward. But, you know, that information was out there, available to all, as long as you followed the right reporters on Twitter and and jumped on it immediately. Um if people were betting against Minner because someone in his camp told someone else, my guy is injured, he ain't lasting around, 
I get it's kind of a thin line between that and Minner taking a dive. It's like an unintentional dive that you know about. Uh, I, I, I get I'm not saying I side with the sports books on this, but I at least get where they're coming from and why they would want to investigate and, and prevent this sort of thing. I'll be curious where this leads and whether the books might ultimately take action against anyone. Um, I don't know. It's 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 an unusual situation. And of course, you have to frame it all under nobody knows that that this is what was going on. It just kind of adds up to a situation where probably somebody leaked some information about an injury just based on what we saw. And this is always going to be an issue in any like one versus one sport, right? Where, you know, like Minner is not getting paid unless he fights. Right. You know, and so maybe he was injured. You know, maybe he wasn't going to be able to last. But like, right. he also didn't want to give up the payday. Right. Yeah. You know, and, so. and and so, but so then that I guess where it gets hairy is whether it was sort of like these are not the highest paid guys on the card. These are kind of low down guys. So he wasn't making much from the fight. So what if it's kind of like, well, I'm going to go through with this fight and collect my payday, but I also know I'm going to take a loss because I'm injured and all that how can I make some money on the side for my friends and, and they'll give me a cut, you know, I, again, very, I want to make very clear. I'm not alleging that that's what happened, but I'm just saying, if that's what happened, that's a different story, right? That's where I'm saying it's kind it's almost like taking a dive. If that's, if that's what went down. Right. Right. We don't know exactly what went down, but I I just think in general, you know, any, any, any one versus one, I mean, it's not, so it's not, not so important in team sports, but you know, if one player's hurt, Right. And we don't and maybe like a little rumor gets floated around out there. But right. like in, in any one versus one sport, you know, and that's why when you see, you know, when you see like, you know, tennis matches, right. you know, there's always a concern, you know, and there's and there's been, you know, documented cases. You know, I don't even want to know what's going on in the you know Russian ping pong leagues. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean there's always going to that's always going to have to like be a factor. And but again, if the sports books are willing to take bets on this action because they want to make money also, then it's, this is, to me, it's, it's going to be a little bit of the cost of doing business. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, so it's, I, I hate to keep uh, using up uh, the material that's going to make its way into my story, but uh, what the heck uh, that I, I asked Holt about the individual sports versus team sports and whether they flag more stuff with individual sports. And basically what he said is, Yes, but only because of tennis. If you took tennis out of the <laughs> equation, the rest of it would pretty much be pretty much even out. Um, and, and the other thing, when I was talking to him, uh, we were on Zoom and he did a screen share. And it's really cool to see the odds and the betting data that U.S. Integrity has access to. He can basically track every bet and every odds move at every book on every market in real time. It, it To me, it just looks like a bunch of points and lines. Like I can't interpret any of it, but to the trained eye, I imagine it's, it's pretty informative. It's certainly uh, more comprehensive than, you know, the press releases we get from FanDuel and DraftKings where they tell us their betting splits on each NFL spread or what have right. you. This is like everything in chart form moving in real time. It's, it's really cool. Hmm. So there you go. I got to see it and you didn't. All right. <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The midterms voting is over, but the wagering on the midterms is not. 
it's Wednesday afternoon as we record this segment, and there are still some close races yet to be called one way or the other. And that'll still be the case when you're hearing this podcast on Thursday. So the betting markets remain open. And nobody follows those betting markets more closely than the man we now welcome back to the podcast. He's a betting analyst and consultant for Betfair. He co-hosts the Vegas Insider podcast, Get Out the Bet. His screen name on Twitter is simply Political Gambler, Paul Krishnamurti. Thanks for joining us again on Gamble On. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be back. So however these last few close races shake out, we know definitively that there was not a red wave. And so it seems the betting markets, which in the last couple of weeks before the election were heavily favoring Republicans, were not a terribly accurate predictor of the results. Maybe the most accurate predictor was the New York Times Siena poll that came out in late October. There's a theory that the GOP was pushing flawed or biased polls that favored their candidates and it would seem those polls influenced the betting. Is that how you see it, that the bettors put too much stock in flawed polls? Or, or do you have some other theory as to why the betting markets had it mostly wrong the last few weeks? I think that's certainly um, a principal reason. I think, you know, there's multiple factors. Um, firstly, there's no question the idea of the shy conservative voter exists, right, in in the in the in the discussion. I'm not convinced it's a real thing. I think it's a Trump, shy Trump voter because I think that Trump appeals to a particular extra section of the population that no other conventional politician would, right? And that's where the polls have missed in the past. I don't think it applies to staying in the conservatives, but it was assumed that that would happen. It is true that the um, forecasting models were flooded with Republican funded polls in the in the last fortnight and that added on and i think you know betting markets can get a momentum when they look like they've called a trend right and so people who called fetterman oz as being a lot closer than the betting suggested two months ago or herschel walker Raphael warnock i think they were very bullish two weeks ago having called the trend right as those races became 50 50 that just created that bit more momentum and excitement. And also, I would say that the, the great indicator for me in the betting for what constituted a red wave or not was whether the Democrats got 200 seats. That, to me, would be the equivalent because uh, in 2018, the Democrats won two, three, six, one, nine, nine. That was a blue wave. Let's so that's a fair one. And that got backed into heavily odds on. I don't. I think that was just wrong. I don't think it was well researched because when you looked at the nature of seats they were going to have to pick up to get to that number, it wasn't easy. And I think you know people were just looking by historical comparisons too much and thinking, well, if that was a state of play in twenty eighteen or in twenty twelve, uh, twenty fourteen or twenty ten, then we'll work off that. But yes, I think if if you want an overall thing, the principal thing is people didn't trust the polls and they were wrong. And 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 it sounds like also you're saying that uh, there there's some degree of when the betting markets start to swing one way, that other bettors will just pile on, thinking everybody else must know something. Is is that what you're saying tends to happen with the betting markets? Absolutely, I think that's just the same. You know, and and, and you know, I. I'm sure, look, you know, I like to consider myself a disciplined gambler, but I'm not going to say I've never got carried away because, you know, sometimes you, um, when you're on a winning streak, when you've called three, four things in a row, right, you start feeling invincible. 
you start having more. And I can totally see how, for instance, someone who's called the Fetterman race right suddenly starts thinking, well, okay, we'll pile into Nevada now, we'll pile into Oregon. The nature of it. Right. How how broken do you think the polling system is right now? Um, you know, looking at it from the perspective of, of a gambler, right? Uh, how much faith are you putting into these, you know, 53, 47, you know, polls? How much faith do you put into the, the polls that you know are coming, you know, skewed from a you know, political perspective? You know, are, I, is there any polls that like really stand out as bellwethers for you at this point? Or are they all flawed in their own way? Well, I think they're imperfect. That's the nature of it. There's also the problem that it's only a snapshot and not a prediction of where we'll be in two weeks. The 538 model uses um, an A to A to Z, as far as I'm aware, ranking system. And I look at that and I do look at the A-plus polls, the Survey USA, um, Washington Post, and whoever they use, um, New York Times, Siena, um, the the A A plus rated ones I do I do take seriously. I think also you've got to kind of differentiate between polls that are taken when there's eight to ten percent undecided. I don't even consider that really a poll, right? Because that isn't going to be the result. Okay, um, you have to think ahead of that. And what you did have during this election was a lot of polls and a lot of undecideds because I think there was a the general, the median position of the country is we're struggling, we've got problems, we've got issues, but we're not convinced the Republicans are the answer to that, right? So in that situation, you're going to get a lot of undecided voters. And it was noticeable how those polls at the end, when those, as those undecided voters were filtered out, got a bit more accurate. And we saw, you know, Warnock then getting up to 48, 49, as he did. Um the other thing I would say is it's not just polls, it's this it's the wider um MRP survey that they do. Because we've had this in the UK where you know the polls were off a lot of times, but in the last two elections, all the major firms now do these MRPs where you know you take the entire demographics of a constituency and you apply trends that you have learned amongst similar groups across the country to them rather than polling all of them trying to make a whole prediction for the constituency based on how demographics but plus polling would work out. And they've been amazing. They've been really impressive. And that's what the the, the models are trying to create. So I do have quite a lot of respect for them. Um, also, I'd, I would also just say we're, it's a political trajectory thing where we had, in 2016, UK, same thing, identical real situation. We had an earthquake in our politics that just redefined so much about the country, about so much about voter blocks. And I think for two or three years, betting markets, pollsters, pundits struggled to come to terms with that, to predict that. And that's why there were a few upsets. But now in America, certainly, we've had, you know, certainly since Trump was elected in 2016, a really consistent, clear, Divide set of dividing lines and polarization, and so it shouldn't be that hard for pollsters to identify what public opinion is. All right, uh, I want to look forward, uh, way forward uh, to twenty twenty four. 
there are markets out there where you can bet on who the Republican presidential nominee will be. To what extent do Tuesday's results suggest to you that DeSantis is now a clear favorite and Trump is now a substantial underdog? And are you betting into that market at all right now, two years out? Oh, I've been into that market four years out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, I have... Okay, so first of all, the betting DeSantis is now the favourite. Big move today. Complete switch around with Trump. Um, all I'm going to say is that I... You know what's coming, right, for DeSantis. The pylon is coming. He's already got the nickname, Ron DeSantis. Right. Yeah, and we know what's coming. It's not going to be nice. Trump will be on back on Twitter within days, no doubt, and and it will all get very nasty. Now, so far, I have not seen anyone on the Republican side survive that. You know, he takes them out. Right. So... Let's see how what situation Ron DeSantis is in in a few months. The other point I would make is that, you know, and I've been saying this for years, so I can't say this as a confident prediction, but the law will catch up with Donald Trump. There are the list of really open and shut legal cases, right, piling on him. He struggles to find a lawyer, right? He, the the, the defences he puts up in these cases in attempts to delay them are ridiculous, right? This can't carry on. It's going to hit. And, and my feeling is that what's going to happen is he's going to declare next week, mm. uh, and but he won't make Iowa. This will all come on top in 2023. And if I was DeSantis, I would just stay out of it for now. Mm. Give it six months to see where we are, you know? Is that something you can bet on in the UK? Is, is there a market for Donald Trump going to jail? There actually isn't. Um, I mean, I I do have a market that uh, bet online. Um, we've okay. we market there. You get six to four that gets indicted this year. Not jail. We haven't got any markets on jail, but we've got indictments okay. all the time. Okay. Personally, I don't think he ever goes to jail because he'll just claim ill health. Despite, I just think Eric just... is wish casting here. Yeah, I might be a little <laughs> bit. But and and how can he claim ill health when that doctor proclaimed him in such perfect health a few years ago? So I, you know. <laughs> Can't trust those doctors. Right. <laughs> you know, Paul. Let me let me ask you this: uh, keeping your, uh, your fortune teller hat on for a minute. Uh, you know, the CFTC has come down on predict it. Uh, Kalshi is waiting to hear back. Obviously, you know, no, I, I'm not. I can't bet on DraftKings or FanDuel. Do you think there'll be any legal markets for me to to get any money down in America come 2024? Yes, I think there will be. I think there is too much demand for it for there not to be something but it's fascinating to watch the US you know and bizarre really for a free country with a capitalist country you know that would be so averse to gambling to to and and why politics why it's okay sports betting is not corruptible but political betting is corruptible that's bizarre I mean surely corruptible I don't, you know, I, I, speaking as an American, we hold our politicians up to the gold standard, as you well know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is it. It's really strange, right? So, but I think that that something will survive. I think it's just tragic, absolutely tragic and indefensible that predicts it is being closed down because predicts it was doing a brilliant job. And I wish I had an account. I wish I had over in England. Mm-hmm. Their range was better than anything we've got. Um, but. Look, the question they have to decide is, do they want 
uh, all of this business going offshore because that's what's happening, you know. But all of that money that's coming into Betfair in the UK, you know, 1.8 billion at the last presidential election traded on one market. Um, a lot of that is, I, I don't know, right, because it's anonymous, but I'd like to have good money that that is coming in from abroad and it's just people laying off their wider positions. All right. Always great talking to you, Paul. Uh, for our listeners, uh, any of you who uh, haven't deleted your Twitter accounts yet, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Paul Motti. And uh, again, I'll plug your new podcast, uh, Get Out the Bet. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again on Gamble On, Paul. Pleasure. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Paul. Cheers, Jeff. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to bagels and locks and some DFS talk shortly. But first, let's update our betting bankroll. And uh, I don't know, Edelstein, you're off to a shaky start. Um, I know you're playing the long game, but uh, yeah. but still, not not the start we were looking for. Yeah. Um, it's funny, after one week, you've started to turn me into John. Um, John was <laughs> so tight about betting that if I tried any kind of parlay, it was the end of the world. And now you're turning me into that guy after just one week. Um, but anyway, let me recap the bets. We We actually did have one of John's bets get graded. It was a great bet that barely missed. In early September, he took the Phillies at 30 to 1 to win the World Series for 20 bucks. Came pretty close to a $600 boost to our bankroll, but uh, alas, it lost 20 bucks. Um, I split my boxing bets. My plus 136 underdog McCaskill lost a competitive decision. My plus 130 underdog Durrell won by 10th round knockout, so a net gain of $15 on those two bets. I also won with the under in the Bills Jets game. And I broke my promise not to watch any of it. I kind of had no choice but to tune in late in that one. Um, anyway, we won $100 there. But then there were the Edelstein bets. Uh, your, <laughs> your your three-team underdog money line parlay. Detroit, Almost hit. Yeah, it sure did. Like like all, It was uh, Detroit, Atlanta, Seattle, to refresh everyone's memory. Like all great parlays, it, it lost narrowly by one leg. Um, I was skeptical about the Lions winning outright, but you nailed that one. And the Falcons really could have beaten the Chargers. That that ridiculous fum, two fumbles on one play situation with 30 seconds left to set up the uh-huh. winning field goal. And then, of course, once it didn't matter to our parlay, the Seahawks won easily, as as you have to figure they will in that spot. Um, so we lost $100 on that. Your Kenneth Walker bet uh, didn't really come that close. Um, I wonder what the odds were on Justin Fields to lead the league in rushing right. on Sunday. Uh, but... Anyway, we dropped $100 on that. So all in all, we lost 105 on the week. No big deal. We're now down by $2,605. We have $960 on hold in futures bets, which uh, I'm telling you, we have some good wins coming on some of my NFL season-long player prop unders. Uh, but for now, we're left with $6,435 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, Jeff. All right. Uh, I'm I'm panicked now. I don't want to lose our <laughs> fake money. Um, but I, so I'm going to go with something I I never do. It's a two team teaser. A okay. two team teaser at okay. minus 120. OK. Uh, I like the Giants getting a point and a half at home against the Texans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I know the Giants are not as good as their record shows, but the Texans are as bad as their record shows. So I, I really like the Giants this weekend. And then I like the Raiders. Give me, let's bet them down to uh, pick them. 
at home against the Colts and their clown carnival coming to town. Uh, Vegas has their backup against the wall. McDaniels is on the hot seat. This is a must win for them. The Colts are, I mean, they're most, they are now the single most dysfunctional franchise in the NFL, perhaps in all of sports. Uh, so I can't foresee how they leave with the victory, but I'm sure they will. Um, so yeah, give me the Giants <laughs> getting one and a half and the Raiders straight up for at minus 120. And so, and how much is that like 120 to win 100 kind of deal? Okay. 120 to win 100. Yeah. Okay. I, I actually really like that one. I think, uh, if it, it now I'm going to jinx it by saying this, but it feels to me like, uh, how can either side fail? So I, I, I like it in theory. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm going very Philly centric with my bets this week. Uh, everyone knows the Eagles have been a great first half team. They haven't lost a first half all season. They've covered, I believe, six of eight first half spreads. I can find them at a standard minus 110, minus six and a half points in the first half against the Commanders on Monday night. They're coming off a nice 10 day break, should come out firing. They were up 24 nothing on Washington at halftime the first time they played this season. Washington hasn't scored more than 10 points in any first half this season since week one, not even against the Lions. They, they got shut out in the first half against the Lions. That tells you something. Um, I know that they're better with Heineke than with Wentz, but I still like the Eagles to cover six and a half in the first half. So uh, let's do 110 to win 100 on that. I really like that one. Uh can I do a second teaser? Is that legal? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. As long as you don't then parlay your teasers together. I'm not. That's where I draw I'm, the I'm line. Not, I'm okay. Not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep it reasonable here, so I'm going to do another <laughs> two-team teaser. Okay. Uh, this one is the Cowboys getting a point in Green Bay. Uh, I, I've, you know, I was saying last week Green Bay is finished. Rodgers is toast. He doesn't care. This is a team that scored nine points against the Lions last week, now going up against the best defense in football. I, I don't see how they get any points, especially Aaron Jones in a walking boot. This is like got Cowboys blowout, like 27 nothing written all over it. So I like the Cowboys getting a point in Green Bay. And then let's head over to Munich uh, for the Seahawks-Buccaneers game. Give me this. The Seahawks are three-point dogs. Give me the C, which I don't understand to begin right. with. Give me the Seahawks plus nine. I don't. Maybe the Bucks win. There's, I can't see this Bucks team beating anybody by, you know, a touchdown and change. And the Seahawks, are we sure they're not the second best team in the NFC right now? Right. It's a, it's a valid question. Yeah. You know, uh, so yeah. let's tease the two of them together again. Minus 120 to win 100. Cowboys getting a point. Seahawks getting nine. All right. It's scary how much I like your teasers here. So <laughs> um, for my second bet, I'm going back to one of my favorite bets from last NBA season. Tyrese Maxey over on points using points betting specifically. So last season, his lines were usually around 17 or 18. And if he missed it, if he went under, it was usually by two, three, four points, no big loss. But sometimes he would go over by 15 points or so. Uh, For tonight's game against the Hawks, his line has been appropriately bumped. Uh, 24 and a half is the over line. There's no James Harden in the lineup, so Maxi will have the ball in his hands all night. He'll be playing 40 minutes or so in this game. The Hawks allow a lot of points. Trey Young is not a good defensive guard. Neither is Maxi, really, but uh, that's beside the point. And Maxi is coming off his worst shooting night of the season. He only scored 11 points in the last game, so they're going to want to get him going. His previous three games were 31, 32, and 28. He also has a 44 this season. Even at a line of 24 and a half, I think he's a favorite to go over. And if he goes under, it shouldn't be by more than five points or so. And he could go 10 or 15 over if everything is clicking. So let's go $20 a point using points betting 
over 24 and a half tonight for Tyrese Maxey. I like it. I like the idea of shooting the moon, Eric. <laughs> Is that what I'm it. doing? Is that what shooting the moon means? I think so. I think we're going for it here. Okay. Now, we, we, I, that, well, I want to see, I, I pl- I'm going conservative this week, but I'm done being, I'm already mad at myself for going conservative. <laughs> I want, I, I, I want to get this bankroll back into positive territorial by myself. So be, <laughs> beware next week. I'm coming, I'm coming in hot. All right. I mean, I think that's, that's good for the entertainment value of the podcast, if nothing else, at least. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, all right. Now it is time for the segment that is sweeping the sports betting nation bagels and locks uh we both handed out five schmear picks last week uh jeff you took the lions plus three and a half and they won outright i took the titans plus 12 and a half and they covered easily and nearly won outright handicapping is easy huh yes easy game (laughs) yeah uh so uh the only bagels here are on the right sides of our records, the zeros in one and zero, which we both have right now. That was that was a, that was a real reach to get there, but uh, anyway, uh, I think it worked. Okay, good. Well, other than those bagels, it is all locks. Uh, I can't believe we're giving these out for free. Uh, they can't lose. Um, so I'm up first this week, and I don't want to overthink it. Um, I'm tempted by the Chargers plus seven in San Francisco. I think. This goes along with one of your teasers. The Giants down to only minus four and a half. Hosting Houston is borderline crazy. Browns plus three and a half at the Dolphins is kind of nice. But I'm just going to go with the one that is screaming out to me. And I wouldn't be surprised if we actually have the same lock this week based on something you already said. The Buccaneers continue to be overvalued. The Seahawks continue to be undervalued. Tampa is minus three on a neutral field in Munich. You're telling me I can get the superior team plus three on a neutral field because either the odds makers or the betting public can't get over their preseason assessments of these teams. Uh, Seahawks plus three. That is my bagels and locks lock. And I'm not even scared by the possibility of old man Brady getting weird German blood transfusions. In Munich. <laughs> That's, I, I mean, I obviously love that bet. Uh, my my lock of the week is uh, I'm going back to the Giants game. Okay. But while I'm tempted just to say yeah just to take the Giants and the points I think that Brian Dable has proven to be a very wise coach right and he knows how to get wins how to coax wins out of his team he's going against the Texans team that has a, a historically bad rushing defense so with those statements in mind give me Saquon Barkley over 93 and a half yards at minus 117 at Caesars that's my lock of the week Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't realize, uh, like, I mean, look, we make the rules. We can change them on the fly. I thought that, it, I thought that the rules were that we were doing uh, NFL games against the spread, but you know what? Oh. A lock, a lock is a lock. So a lock is a lock. yeah, this, this is, <laughs> this one was with capers. I think, <laughs> there you go. I guess I'll, I'll lay this rule down though. It should all be like standard minus one ten ish type of betting. You can't go like such and such a team that's minus 300 on the money line sure, is, sure, is your sure. lock. But okay. so that was over 93 and a half. Was that rushing yards or rushing, uh, yards. rushing yards? Okay. Yep. All right, cool. And we wrap up with some quick DFS talk. Still no name for this segment. Um, how about how to, how to, how to lose money in five easy steps. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little lengthy. Um, yeah. We're working I, on it. We'll workshop. All right. Well, I, I have one in mind, but I'm pretty sure it's it's every bit as lame as my brain is telling me it is, uh, which is DJFS. That's terrible, right? Yeah, it's not good. Okay, thought so. All right. <laughs> that, that, yeah, of the two, yours is in the lead right now. Um, whatever the segment is called or is not called, uh, hit me with your quick Week 10 NFL DFS thoughts. All right. Uh, looking at the DraftKings slate, I mean, I think for the first time this year, we have what looks to be a properly priced slate. Generally speaking, I, there, there's nothing 
that is screaming out to me that's like horribly mispriced right now. Yeah. Uh, which means like really for the first time, there's going to be a lot of confusion as to what the best plays are this week. Um, it's hard to build like a lineup for the for me at least. This is the first time this year that I've yet to be able to like put a line together that I that I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the direction I'm headed right now is definitely not a good direction. Uh, the the way that I'm making my lineups work is is putting you know is building two tight ends, which is like not a good idea. Uh, I mean I love Barkley. I think he's going to be high owned. Mm-hmm. I think Derrick Henry. I, I mean I I want to get. Barkley and Henry in there. I think Travis Etienne. I think he should do fine enough in that game against Kansas City, but I, I I'm not as like sold on that because like who knows how that game goes. Right. Uh, Justin Fields is going to be popular as well as he should be. Um, you know, at 6,500, Tua is 200 dollars more at 67, and, and then it's Mahomes. I don't know where else you go with quarterback. And then I, the wideouts I think are in the five to six K range. Juju, Christian Kirk, uh, Rondell Moore. I mean, I so I think if you you know if you want to go off the board here, I think it's paying up for receivers this week because I right. think they're going to be low owned basically because they are now expensive. Yeah, I, I'm I'm having some of the same struggles with 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 this slate, and I, obviously you know I I haven't put too much time into it yet. I've just kind of given it a cursory glance, but uh, I'll first note that uh, I am now eight and zero on the season in my large field single entry double ups, and I beat Levitan's score again last week. Um, I played uh, I played Justin Fields, which was the key. Uh, yep. Only only thirty four point one percent had him, which meant. If you had him and you hit just one or two other good pieces, you were you were getting over the cash line. And so I I got up to Eckler. I had ATN. I had Josh Palmer. That was enough. Um, but, yeah, it's really hard to find value on this week's main slate. Um, we'll see what opens up from injuries. You mentioned Aaron Jones in a walking boot. Maybe A.J. Dillon becomes a, an easy cash play if Aaron Jones is ruled out. Um, I don't think. If Josh Allen misses, I don't think playing Case Keenum is a very viable option. Um, I, I guess the question is whether I can stomach a guy like Samari Tour, Green Bay receiver at 3,900. Never heard of him until just recently, right. but he's basically their number two receiver now. Or Donovan Peoples-Jones at 4,300. You have to be willing to go down to to one of those kind of guys, I think, to be able to spend up for anyone. But um, in tournaments, which I am, of course, retired from, uh, at least until I have a losing double up week, um, I, the big question for me is, can you bring yourself to fade fields? Um, like, he may well be my cash QB again this week, but is he going to be so over-owned in GPPs that, that you fade him and hope he busts? Is, is there any chance you can fade Justin Fields this week? Yeah, I mean, you, you certainly can. Uh, it's I'm just not sure entirely where to. I mean, I think Tua is a is a pivot right at the same price point, and then you mm-hmm. go up to Mahomes. I think if you look down, I think you know Daniel Jones has potential, you right. know, to, certainly with the rushing yards. Uh, I, but I'm not sure where else to go necessarily. And Fields, I mean, the mat, he's at home against the Lions. I mean, it's yep. a pristine matchup. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm never usually all that worried about quarterback chalk and because i even if he does get truck i don't think he's gonna be more than like 20 25 percent um but i don't I, yeah i i i plan on being overweight fields okay week, tournaments all right uh so now the listeners know go underweight on justin fields <laughs> five easy steps to not lose your money is fade uh, fade jeff's picks 
Absolutely. (laughs) That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Paul Krishnamurti. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, the microphone is yours. Please take us out. Yeah, real quick. I, you know, I wrote a story this week on Sports Handle concerning the the Sport Radar FanDuel NBA deal, and it made everyone who isn't a sports better angry with me. Uh, here's uh, read the article. It's on Sports Handle. It concerns the fact that potentially that FanDuel and and, the, and other sports books that are buying the NBA's data from Sport Radar will have numbers and information that sports betters won't have access to. All I was trying to say. Dear Sport Radar, dear NBA, dear <laughs> FanDuel, is that that's a bad precedent, right? More statistics, the better, but there should not be asymmetry in the market where the sports books have access to information that I cannot get my hands on. Period, full stop. That's all. Give me, let me have the opportunity, even if I have to pay for it, let me have the opportunity to get numbers if you're going to provide them to the sports books. Potentially. Can I, have, can I say potentially enough? I don't think so. <laughs> throw, in, throw in a couple more potentially. potentially, yeah. I think so. Anyway, that's that. Check out the article on Sports Handle. And until next week, Eric, gamble on. Gamble on.